0: I'm Sylvan Drake. Welcome to The Weekend Write-In. Each week, a group of committed authors draft, share, and comment on flash fiction stories of 500 words or less based on a one-word prompt. The Weekend Write-In began in 2014 on an Amazon-hosted website called WriteOn and migrated to the online writing community of Wattpad in 2017, where it continues today. The Weekend Write-In is a warm and welcoming group open to all writers. This podcast is pleased to share just a few of the hundreds of Weekend Write-In stories as read by the authors
1: themselves.
2: Hey there, I'm John Nedwell. In this episode of the Weekend Write-In podcast, we will interview Joyce Holt. And then we'll experience the magic of a winter sleigh ride, discover what one man would do if he could turn back time, witness a showdown with style, drink beer with a couple of salty characters you may know, and hear true stories illustrating the bravery of a beloved dog and the shenanigans of an evil cat.
0: So, without further ado, tell us what happens when.
2: Today, I'm talking to one of the weekend writing regulars, Joyce Holt. Hello, Joyce. Hi, John. So, Joyce, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I live in the land of the Sasquatch the cool, misty rainforest in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. I love tales from the old days, the folklore of the Duwamish and Puyallup tribes here south of Seattle, the legends told by my ancestors in England and Norway, even my father's stories of growing up in Wyoming during the Great Depression, which might explain a little Wyoming twang in my
2: voice. You've been involved with weekend writing for quite a while. How did you get started in the write-in?
1: In 2012, I entered a contest Amazon was running, when I'd heard about from a friend in my weekly critique group. Amazon later sent all its entrants invitations to join its new online community, WriteOn, where I quickly became addicted to the weekend write-in. I hadn't tried writing such short fiction before. You have to wring your prose tight as a bowstring to get a whole story in under 500 words.
2: A lot of your stories are based on Norwegian history and folktales. What is it about them that inspires you?
1: I love to delve into the past, not only into realistic history, but also into old legends and fairy tales. Fascinated by the way things used to be, what things people used to believe. A while back, I stumbled upon an obscure book of folklore from the parish of my ancestors in Telemark. In the old days, nearly everyone in the mountains of inland Norway lived in small, isolated settlements surrounded by dense forests, where winter nights seemed to last forever. Who could tell what dangers lurked in gloom and shadow? A great wealth of tales sprang up to explain wild weather, sick cattle, people gone missing. Legends told of otherworldly beings haunting farmsteads and wilderness. It was a shivery thrill to unravel each eerie tale, and a delight to share them with others. As far as I can tell, no one had ever translated them into English before.
2: What do you have planned for the future?
1: More flash fiction, definitely. I've self-published six historical fantasy novels, one set in ninth century Norway, and two books in a science fiction trilogy. The last book in that trilogy is still waiting for its turn.
2: So, where would I go to find out more about your writing or to read more of your stories?
1: There's my website, JoyceHolt.com, with sample chapters, book trailers, author readings, and more. On my Amazon author page, you can purchase my Kindle e-books or print-on-demand paper books, www.amazon.com slash author slash JoyceHolt. On Wattpad, I have many free stories. My handle is at Joyce Holt. And I post two or three times a week to my Facebook business page. Photos from my visits to England and Norway, history, trivia, notices of upcoming events. www.facebook.com slash author Joyce Holt.
2: Thank you very much, Joyce. See you around.
1: Out of the Blue, a tale from Telemark, Norway by Joyce Holt. When Torgrim rounded the next bend, he let himself slide to a stop. He rested a moment, leaning on his ski pole, studying the way ahead. The trail swooped down one long hillside and up the next, gleaming pale blue under the winter sky. Evening shadows lurked under the snow-laden spruces that hugged the path. Time to start looking for a place to stay the night, he said into the silence, his words wafting in clouds. He pushed off and sailed down the slope, his speed carrying him a good way up the next hillside. No sign of any dwelling, no one on the trail to ask for directions to shelter, no sound but his skis whisking the snow and his own labored breathing as he toiled up the empty slope. Suddenly, out of the blue, sleigh bells sounded right behind him and the clopping of hooves. Torgrim whirled. A one horse sleigh pulled up. Want a quick ride home? asked the driver. Ah, no, Torgrim answered, I have such a long way home, it can't be done in one evening. The stranger patted the seat beside him. Come on, I'll take you. A thief luring victims to their doom? Torgrim backed off a step, thinking of his dagger tucked away in his backpack. You have no idea how far it is to my home. I live way up in Gutbronsdal. I know where you live, said the fellow, but you have no idea I'm your neighbor, do you, Torgrim? Torgrim searched the man's face, still not recognizing him, but a thief wouldn't know his name. Take a seat now, and I'll have you home before your wife Anna brings the evening porridge to the table. The fellow even knew his wife. Must be safe enough to trust this man. He stepped onto the back runners. No, said the stranger, come sit up here on the seat. Back there, you can't hang on well enough. How fast my horse runs. It would be a marvel if he runs as fast as my fine trotter I sold today in Kongsberg. Torgrim settled in. The Ahabronen runs fast indeed. The horse took off like an arrow. The wind howled and whistled in Torgrim's ears, and he fell back, clinging to the side of the sleigh. Everything blurred with speed. What was that flashing past? Treetops? Was the sleigh flying through the air? The horse slowed to a stop. Torgrim sat up, shaking, and looked around. The farmyard, in front of its own house, could it be true? He leaped down, darted to the window, and looked inside. There stood Anna by the hearth, stirring porridge. Still marvelling, Torgrim turned to the sleigh. Come in for supper, he blurted, without giving it any thought. The least I can do in return. Ah, I shall take nothing in payment for the transport, the sleigh driver said, but promise me one thing. Move your stable, for each time the horses piss, it drips down on my table. A tussaman, Torgrim realized, You must be living in the haunted mound behind the cow barn. Oh, where should I put the stable? The fellow pointed to a different site. It won't be any trouble for you moving the stables. Just take the horses out tomorrow night and all their tap. A thousand thanks for this swift passage, and my blessing upon you, Torgrim said. The Tessa man nodded, then vanished, horse, sleigh, and all. The next day, Torgrim emptied and cleaned the stables. The following morning, the stable building stood upon the new site, rebuilt
3: in the dark of the night by Tessa Magic. The Memory Machine by L.M.L. Gill. Harry inspected the contraption in front of him. It had to be metal from the way it glimmered in the light. The smooth exterior felt warm to his touch. Which metal, he thought. It can't be stainless steel, he noted. Stainless steel feels cool against the skin. He heard old Professor Maury's grainy voice. Not because it's cool, but because it's a good inductor. It takes your heat into itself. Alchemy of Metal had been his favorite subject at school. He met Marla there. Marla with her large appetite and small frame. She wasn't much of a cook, so he did the cooking and she did the eating. He, she probably found a better cook. He scoffed as he caressed the machine. He turned the contraption ups- upside down. It wasn't copper. It lacked a tan-orange color, and the vibration was off. Some metals are man-made, and others, like copper, are a gift from nature. Professor Murray purred as he held his copper bar. Marla had bought Harry a medium-sized copper-lined pan for their eighth-month anniversary. To make your world famous lasagna. She had always loved his lasagna the best. She would moan in delight as she ate it. You should open your own restaurant, she said between bites. Actually, don't. Then you'll be too busy to cook for me. She was both selfish and possessive, qualities he admired. He shook back the memories. Marla's gone, he sighed. Harry's arm hurt from holding the machine. Osmium, he said and placed the machine down and touched his heavy heart. Harry shuffled the papers in his pockets until he found the post-its. Then he picked up a pen. When he finished writing, he pasted the note next to the machine. Broken. He turned his attention to the next contraption. Time machine, huh? He smiled as he sat down inside. If it can't be forgotten, then maybe it can be changed, he thought as he pushed the unbutton button and adjusted the knobs.
2: Sapuos By John Nedwell It was Saturday night at the Bistro Infernal. The Saper clans had gathered in the bar and were eyeing each other suspiciously across the tables. They knew something was going to happen that night. But what? The grapevine had been rife with speculation and hearsay, but no facts. So when Roy Bernard strode into the room, his retinue around him, the atmosphere was tense with anticipation. The maitre d' approached him, bearing a card on a silver salver, and bowed deeply. Sir... Roy Bernard picked up the card and read it. His face darkened. Who dares challenge me, he screamed. There was a momentary silence. Then a voice came from the crowd. I do. The crowd parted, and Slick Willy stepped into the void. I challenge you. Roy Bernard nodded in acknowledgement. You? And who else? Just me. You are a brave man. Many have tried before, but none have taken my crown. Indeed, said Slick Willy. "'but do you accept my challenge?' "'Of course.' "'The two men approached each other. Wa Bernard, accompanied by two of his followers, "'Slick Willie on his own. "'A Bernard declared. "'Entourage,' Slick Willie responded. "'And the duel began. Wa Bernard removed his coat "'and held it up for the crowd to inspect. "'Mohair.' "'There was a murmur of admiration. "'Slick Willie held up his jacket.' English linen, he declared, with ivory buttons. Again, the crowd showed their appreciation. While Bernard handed his coat to one of his seconds, then held his hat up. Pork pie. Pigskin. He slipperily removed his hat. Fedora. Fur felt. Handmade. While Bernard spun around, his arms outstretched to show off his waistcoat. Tailored in Milan. Slick Willie merely opened his waistcoat to show off the lining. Silk, he said, from my man in Bond Street. The duel continued, each of the participants taking turns to remove an item of clothing and to declare its provenance. As they stripped, the crowd nodded, murmured, then roared their approval. The walls of the Bistro Infernal shook with their p- applause, and the glasses in the racks rang in sympathy. Slowly, Bois Bernard and Slick Willy revealed themselves. Finally, the two men faced each other, with only their trousers remaining. Slick Willie undid his fly buttons and let the penultimate item of clothing drop. Boxers. Chinese silk. Wa Bernard hesitated, and the crowd felt silent. Slick Willie looked questioningly at his opponent. Well... Wa Bernard blushed. The crowd held its breath. For a moment, nothing happened. Then Bernard dropped his trousers to reveal a faded pair of cotton briefs. Je m'embarasse, he said in shame. Then he turned and walked away into the night. Slick Willie raised his arms in victory. The emperor has clothes, he called out, and the crowd went wild.
0: Drink and Be Merry by Sylvain Drake
4: Damn! How long have you guys been uh, hiding out back here?
0: asked Rudy, looking impressed. He pulled two beers out of the case and threw one to Shorty and one to his friend.
4: Boss has got his head so far up his ass, he'll never find us,
0: said Shorty, rolling the cold can across his sweaty forehead before cracking it open.
4: Wouldn't walk his fat ass this far back in the warehouse,
0: snorted Shorty's friend.
4: Can't believe boss has got you working warehouse," said Shorty. "Thought you're strictly transport. Too clean to be doing dirty work in the back with us, no-name riffraff."
0: Shorty eyed Rudy, sizing him up. They'd never spoken before. Suddenly, the sound of approaching footsteps interrupted them. Shorty and his friends stuffed their beers between the large cardboard boxes surrounding them and stacked nearly to the ceiling. Rudy didn't bother to hide his beer, but leaned back instead and put his legs up on a box. He took a long sip and let out a loud belch. Don peeked around the corner.
4: You've got to be shitting me, he said. Are you guys out of your mind partying back here when tomorrow it's go time?
0: He looked disdainfully at the aloof look on Rudy's face. Everyone loved his strong jaw and gorgeous nose. Like a fucking rock star, thought Dawn.
4: Don't be a stiff,
0: smirked Rudy, and he threw Don a beer. Reluctantly, Don opened the beer and took a seat on a box, probably congratulating himself for slumming it with the warehouse crew, he thought, nodding an insincere thanks to Rudy. Damn, the beer tasted good, though. Things had been tense at work leading up to the big night. Everyone
4: was on edge. Boss is going to have a coronary if he keeps yelling the way... He has been these last few days,
0: the Don leaning back. Good riddance, snorted Shorty's friend. Don tried to remember his name, but couldn't. Maybe he was just as big a snob as Rudy. Again, footsteps approached, definitely not bosses, however. Hey, boys, purred a silky voice. The four looked up at a pair of sexy brown eyes. Hey, said Shorty. What's up? Said Rudy with a wink and a smile. Don and Shorty's friend just nodded. You boys are not behaving. Naughty, aren't we? And when tomorrow's the big night, she smiled and blew them a kiss. Good night. They waited until she was out of earshot.
4: Damn, that vixen is sexy, said Rudy. I'd like her to punish me for my sins. She's got a boyfriend, said Don quickly. No. Yeah, down south. Thought everybody knew, added Don. Well... We'll see about that,
0: said Rudy with a sneer. So damn arrogant, thought Don. Footsteps again.
4: See? She's coming back for me,
0: hissed Rudy right into Don's face. Don could feel his face flush. <laughs>
4: what the fuck?
0: boomed a deep voice that shook the boxes. Shorty and his friends seemed to disappear into thin air.
4: Rudolph, you're fired! What? You can't? whined Rudy. I just did. What are you smiling at, Donner? Nothing, said Don. Get back to work, growled Boss. Yes, Santa.
0: Don replied and hurried off.
5: The Smallest Thief by Christine Larson The first time we saw Taffy, we thought she may be a guinea pig, or a long-haired bat, or... Is that a rat in the back of that cage? Canute wrinkled his nose in distaste. Pet rats and mice have never been our scene. Feral rodents have caused too much damage on our farms to even vaguely appreciate them. It's a guinea pig. Definitely, I said. But on closer inspection, huddled dejectedly in the far corner, the black ball was... A dog! I exclaimed. A tiny little puppy. Fitting comfortably into my cupped hands, the only way to tell front from back was when her little pink tongue came out to lick anything in sight. Possibly only five weeks old, Taffy desperately needed a mother. Some moist-eyed coercion later, Conect reluctantly agreed to my plea. Just one more. We have so much space. And following a cuddly hour plus trip home, bonding was complete between new mother and daughter. Canute wanted to call her Scruffs, but that was too awful and derogatory for this tiny darling. However, in short order, you could shout Scruffs, Scruffy, or even, hey you! The name mattered not. She would always come wagging her tail in helicopter fashion, smiling from ear to ear. Scruffy was the most faithful description of her nature and appearance, more often than not, especially as she emerged from the cow's drinking trough, her idea of a bath after a wade through of the dairy dirt yard full of unmentionables. Then at shearing time she saw her life's mission was to protect us from those vicious sheep by furiously barking beneath the slattered floor of the shearing shed. A compromise was reached as her true nature emerged, that of a thief, and she earned her name thanks to the old rhyme. Taffy was a Welshman, Taffy was a thief. Taffy came to my house and stole a leg of beef. I went to Taffy's house, Taffy wasn't home, and all that was left was a bare beef bone. But the day she stole my heart completely i was trying to return an amorous absconding bull to his personal paddock from the hill road alongside our farm taffy saw my dilemma when he turned on me and my small car pouring the ground and snorting heavily at both of us she came racing across the paddock below faster than a speeding black bullet with no thought of her own precious little self she confronted him And when all else failed latched onto his tail swinging from side to side amazingly ducking his vicious kicks and ignoring his enraged bellows in minutes he was on the run with the terrifyingly tenacious taffy hot on his heels all the way what a savior and what a love fest we enjoyed that day every other of the many days of her life if ever there was a love thief it was our treasure taffy
6: That Cat, by Tom Walborn. I do not believe in reincarnation. Let me state that right up front. I reject the idea that evil can come back and manifest in, say, a cat. I simply do not accept it. But still. How else do you explain what happened? How can a perfectly normal young kitten grow to terrorize a household? What primal memories were stored in her genes? And what was the trauma that awakened them? When my daughter moved into her own apartment, she got a kitten. I don't even remember the cat's name now. When we tell the stories, it's always that cat. As in, do you remember that cat you had on Memorial Drive? You know, the one that ate the telephone book. What was her name? When my oldest got the apartment, she proudly told us that we didn't have to stay in a motel anymore when we came to visit. We could stay in her guest room. The guest room was small but adequate. Twin beds and a small dresser pretty much filled it up. I'll come back to the guest room in a few minutes. I'm going to refer to my daughter as Patty for the rest of this story. That is, of course, not her real name. And anyone who knows us and reads this will know exactly who I'm talking about. But at least this way, she can't sue me. The cat shall remain nameless. I'm afraid that even by assigning a fake name to her, I will somehow invoke her bad juju once more. The cat had a purr that women found endearing. Deployed whenever she was held by the females of our family, it turned into a growl for any hapless male that got too close. In the arms of the women, she would close her eyes and smile. At least, I'm told that's what she did. Whenever I got too close, the smile became a... Well, a snarl doesn't even do it justice. Lips were curled up and about two dozen very tiny, but very sharp teeth were exposed. But even that was not as intimidating as her stare. It reminded me of the gaze of a puma in a rock outcropping, watching a herd of young gazelle, unblinking, intense. I get goosebumps even now, remembering it. I would look up from reading a book, and she would be sitting there, staring at me. Dad, you're sitting in her chair, Patty told me. Her chair, her couch. She liked to park on the back cushion of the couch to watch TV. If I got there before her, she would jump up behind me, give me to the count of 10 to move, and then swap me on the back of the head. That happened twice before I got the message. Don't sit on her couch. Her chair, her couch, her bed. That brings me back to the spare bedroom. Dad, the cat likes to sleep at the foot of the bed in there on the afghan. Not tonight she's not, I muttered. I gently deposited her outside the bedroom door and closed it tight. The next day was long. We were out for the whole day. Patty assured us the cat would be fine. We got home late and tired. As I was getting ready for bed, I noticed the book that I'd been reading was face down on the floor. I picked it up to find that all of the pages had been distressed. That is an artistic way of saying they were shredded. Not too hard to figure out who did that. I looked around the room, but the cat was oddly AWOL. Then I sat down on the... Bed to take off my shoes. Even before I realized my bottom was damp, I smelled the smell. Sitting on the bed had compressed the mattress and sent a miasma of pheromones into the air. What is that? my wife asked, although as soon as she said it, we both knew. That cat had struck again. With the bedding in the washer, my pants rinsed out and hanging from the shower bar, and the mattress out in the hall, We both settled in on the remaining bed, but it was just too small. I went out to sleep on the apartment-sized couch. I didn't fit there either, but somehow I made it through the night. Have you ever been in that drowsy state when you are starting to wake up, but just want to hang on to sleep for a few more minutes? You scrunch your eyes closed and burrow down into the pillow. That was me the next morning. But then I remembered. I was exposed, out in the open. There was no closed door between me and that cat, which was sitting on the coffee table, staring at me, tail twitching slightly. I swear if she had dropped into a crouch, I would have run screaming from the house. It is not true that that cat drove us from the apartment that day. We were planning to go home early anyways, just maybe not that early. But I left there with a good feeling, I felt very confident that my little girl was protected from the overly amorous attentions of young men, as long as that cat was on duty.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Weekend Write-In. For more episodes and links to more work by these authors, please visit our website at www.weekendwritein.wordpress.com. Music credits for Out of the Blue and The Smallest Thief by Fistlion Studios.com, Sound effects for Drink and Be Merry by Freesound.org and Male Voices by Mark Malone. This episode, The Weekend Write-In website and e-magazine were created by Sovon Drake, host, executive producer and editor. John Nedwell, co-host and assistant editor. LML Gill, web design and e-magazine.
2: Well, that's it for The Weekend Write-In podcast for this episode. See you guys next time. Now, didn't Sovan say she was off to the pub? Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. yeah. oh,